Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. church officers and their biblical functions. You're going to be uh, voting on church officers, and um, it's important that you understand. And if this raises some questions, feel free to ask me after the service. Let's start off with just talking about the pastor. That's not something we vote on. Uh, When the pastor was voted on, me, 27 years ago, the pastor doesn't serve a particular term length, as we will explain with the other officers. The pastor serves at, at the pleasure of the congregation. And you hired me and you can fire me. I hope it's not anytime soon. In fact, firing, I hope it never happens. But anyway, hopefully that will never happen. But one thing you need to understand about a pastor, and some people don't understand this simple truth, to be a pastor, you must meet Bible qualifications. You can't just decide that you're going to be a pastor. You may feel the call. If somebody came to me, a young man came to me, and if he were to say, I feel the call to be a pastor, first thing I would do is, well, are you qualified? To find that out, you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you would turn there, and it lays out the qualifications. I've told you before that when I felt, and when I was in the Chicago suburbs and I felt the Lord calling me to pastor, this is the first thing I did. Am I, do I meet the qualifications? And they're laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is a true saying, if any man desire the office of a bishop or a pastor, they're synonymous, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be, and here's the qualifications, blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, uh, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? You see, you can't be a pastor if your house is in disarray, if your kids are just terrible rebels and your wife hates you and what have you. No, you're not qualified. Uh, verse number six, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. So again, it's very important for any man that is called to be a pastor that he meet the Bible qualifications. And while no pastor is perfect, and this isn't calling for perfection, thankfully, um, these basic standards are standards that a man should meet in order for him to become a pastor. Okay, now, what does that mean? Okay, a guy's called to be a pastor. He's here to pastor. I I got a uh, text this morning. Brother Miss Stiles, their son Blake, this morning or today is his first Sunday as, as the senior pastor at a church down in Tennessee. And I, I felt honored that he thought about me this morning early and texted me and said, Brother McMorris, pray for me, you know, as I'm about to assume the reins of, of this church. Um, what are his responsibilities as a young pastor? Well, this, the same as mine as, a, as an older pastor. And there's lots of places in the Bible that you can go. But let's just look in First Peter chapter 5. In First Peter chapter 5, it, it talks about the elder, again, synonymous with pastor. 
In verse number 1 of 1 Peter 5, it says, The elders are pastors which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And here's our basic instructions. And there's other scriptures that talk about other things. But I think this sums it up pretty good. What are my responsibilities to you as a church? Well, Peter says in verse number 2, Number 1, feed the flock of God which is among you. Number two, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. In other words, don't do it for the money, but of a ready mind. Know what you're getting yourself into. Pursue it. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You know, you're not some proud, arrogant individual, but being examples to the flock. So there you have a pretty basic outline of what a pastor's responsibilities are. Number one, feed the flock. And that would be preaching and teaching the word of God. In fact, I would think that is my primary responsibility to you, to preach and teach the word of God. Not my opinions, you know, not based on my personality, but to be able to dissect the word of God and present it in hopefully an interesting way, but most importantly, in an accurate way. So that's what a pastor is called to do. In addition to that, it talks about taking the oversight thereof. That has to do with administration and leadership. You know, I spend a lot of time each week, you know, preparing sermons. Maybe the bulk of my time preparing sermons. A lot of my sermon preparation I do at home. Because when I'm here, there's lots of interruptions. And you know what the problem is? I like interruptions. I like it when you drop by. I like visiting with you. You know, I I like it when people drop by the office with apple pies from McDonald's. But thank you, Tom. (laughs) You know, so, you know, a lot of mornings, you know, I will just stay at home and then eat lunch at home and then come in the afternoon and then I'm, you know, I hopefully I've done my work well and I'm free and Folks have a need, I'm happy to see them, or just when folks just just drop in. But in addition to preparing to preach and teach, there's administrative things to do. I mean, we have staff meetings. I mean, in our staff meeting last week, you know, we're, we're going over a bunch of stuff. You know, we're looking, you know, we're, we're planning Easter. How do we want to do Easter? How can we maximize Easter? I mean, that, we're talking about that in the staff meeting. It has to be, it has to be talked through, and it, it's amazing how many details and things have to be considered with, with the most simple of, of events? You know, who's going to do it? How's it going to be done? Um, you know, Easter, how, how are we going to do that? We want it to be evangelistic, you know. And so, you know, our meeting this past Friday morning dealt with the invitations that we're printing. You know, are, are we going to make them where you can mail them? Are you going to sign them on the back? You know, how are we, what, what's the information that you want on them? Do you want different information on the ones you mail than on the ones you pass out? See, that's just a little sample of all that's got to be talked through. Where are we going to order them? You know, will the envelope, you know, are we going to order envelopes separately for the cards and how do we make sure they're going to fit in there? When do we get them? How much are they going to cost? And, and that's just, you know, one little sample. So that's part of a pastor's role to administer the church, to plan, program, think things through, work out problems and provide leadership. That's what it means when it says taking the oversight thereof. That is the pastor's responsibility. 
And then thirdly, you know, setting an example. It says being example, you know, example, setting an example. I, you know, I should try to live a life that represents the best of the Lord and hopefully show you some Christian maturity. I'm not perfect. I'm, I make mistakes. Made them here at the church. I'm sure I'll make some in, in, in the future, but, but hopefully, you know, my, my reputation is, is such that it doesn't bring shame to the church or, more importantly, the shame to the, to the Lord. So, again, those, those are the basic responsibilities of a pastor. To be, to be an example, you know, to provide leadership and administration of the church. That's kind of the day-to-day operation. Who, who's going to teach what? When are we going to have a meeting? Hey, we need to have a, a trustee meeting or a, a, a greeters, and, and de- uh, greeters and ushers meeting. You know, who's going to handle it? How are we going to handle it? Where are we going to meet? thousand things like that to take care of. And then also the, the idea of preaching and teaching God's Word. And all of this is based on a calling from God. You know, if you meet the requirements, it's got to be that you're in this position because God called you to it. You read about that in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 11... And he gave some apostles and some prophets, he, remember, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? Again, this is part of the responsibilities. I said you can find it in different passages. Here it is in Ephesians chapter 4. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, you know, and, and here's, how, here's how it works. Here's how I am here, okay, and other pastors are where they are. God calls us, and then a church recognizes God's call on that man as their pastor. And that's very simply how it works. I mean, I was in Chicago when God was calling me. All right, well, I think we were living in Elgin, which is just outside of Chicago. And, you know, I felt God call. And then I knew it was God's call. And then I candidate here, and you folks, or those folks back then, including some of you, recognized God's call on my life and God's call to this ministry here. And that was back about 27 years ago. So a preacher, really, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, there, there's no question about this. Christ is the head of the church. I'm just God's human instrument here to carry out his will. But let's first start off by acknowledging, and the Bible is very clear about this, he is the head of the church. Okay, I, I'm just a human instrument in his hands. This is the way he wanted it done, that he would call pastors, churches would recognize that call, call them into their ministry to head up their church. And spiritually speaking, though, from a pastor's point of view, you know, I'm called of God and I ultimately answer to God. And that's very important for you to understand. I ultimately answer to him. Now, humanly speaking, I'm called by the church and I answer to the church. And more about that in a second. So, in a nutshell, that, that's a pastor. Called of God, he's got certain responsibilities. He's not to lord it over the flock. He needs to, to set a good example. Then we come to deacons. Now, deacon is another Bible position, okay? Uh, here at Myo Baptist Church, uh, deacons uh, are voted on, and then they serve a three-year term, and at the end of that three-year term, 
I asked them, would you, you know, would you want to serve? Would you consider serving another three-year term? And if they say yes, then they can be, their name is added to the uh, ballot out there. And we've got, I think, three men that have just finished their three-year term. And I talked to them. I said, we'd like for you to serve another three-year term. And they said yes. So you'll vote on them again for another three-year term. Some men, their term wasn't up this year. It'll be up next year or the year after that. Then we'll vote on them. And the church, again, you, you recognize who you will. You vote on who you will. And then they, they come in. It is, a, it is a Bible position. Now, again, there are qualifications for deacons. Not just anybody can be a deacon. And the way we've done it here for over 20 years is I and the current deacons will meet together and we will consider men of the church. And our basically our number one concern is do they, the deacons, meet the Bible qualifications? And some may not this year, but they might next year. Or there may be some who are just, you know, they're just not there and it may never be there. But that doesn't mean they're a second-class citizen. It doesn't mean anything like that. Where are the qualifications for deacons? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it gives the qualifications for pastors. And then it says in verse number 8, Likewise must the deacons be grave. That means serious-minded men, serious about their faith. Not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. In other words, you just somebody can't get saved today and next week become a deacon. There's, there's got to be some, some maturity there. First be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives. Okay, with a pastor, it said he must be in charge of his family. His family must be under his control. They need to be a good family. With deacons, it specifically mentions wives. Sadly, there's been some very good men that have missed out on being a deacon because their wives lacked maturity, if you will. And that's a very sad thing, but we've got to, to the best of our ability, do things according to Scripture. So it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Here at our church, as is the case with many, maybe most Baptist churches, you know, we love everybody in this church and everybody is valued, but a disqualification for a deacon would be a man that's been married more than once. And that's, you know, that's just the way God set it up and we just have to do what God says. But those men can at the same time, though, they can be, we'll get to it in just a second, a trustee. So, I mean, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. We'll explain that in a second. 1 Timothy 3.13, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase in themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So those are deacons. They, too, have qualifications. Now, the word deacon itself is very important. The word itself is important because the word deacon means a servant, Okay? We call it a leadership position, and it is by example. But, I mean, it's not an office of great rank where a deacon goes around like a peacock, you know, strutting his stuff, and I'm a deacon. The truth of the matter is, in a biblical sense, a deacon's a servant. He's here to serve. 
He's not here to rule over people. He's not smarter than everybody else. He's not more spiritual than everybody else. A deacon that understands his position well understands that he is a humble servant. In Acts chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In verse number 1, now it doesn't use the the term deacon here. Therefore, looking at this 2,000-year-old letter, it's in dispute. Some, a few people say, I think most men agree that this is talking about deacons here. But in full honesty, there's a few men that doesn't think that this is talking about deacons. I think it is. And I think most uh, pastors think that it is. And it gives you some insight into their calling. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Boy, no sooner than the New Testament church gets started, there starts to be problems. And there's some complaining that some of the widows in the church were not being treated as good as some of the other widows in the church. And it was creating a problem. And Satan likes to get a foothold wherever he can. Well, in verse number 2, then the twelve, that's the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Okay, we got a problem. We acknowledge the problems, the apostles say. But look, our calling is not to serve tables. Not because they were too good. You know, the Lord taught them to wash one another's feet. But because there is a a division of responsibilities in the church, their greater calling is to spend time in the Word and in prayer. So in verse number 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. These are other conditions to be a deacon. Whom we may appoint over this business. That's... Helping the widows. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, and, then, and, and it lists them. And here they are. They're, they're serving. Deacons serve in part to remove needed responsibilities from the pastor so that hopefully he can spend more time in prayer and in the Bible, in, in sermon preparation. You know, I've been here a while now. You know me. I don't mind working. I, I like working. I, I enjoy cleaning the kitchen, washing the dishes, and whatever. But there's been times I've, I've done that, and I thought, you know, I'm not serving my congregation well if I'm doing other things. There, there's certain things that I have to do. And if I don't get them done in the role of a pastor or if I, if I shortchange those things, I shortchange you. The most important thing for you is that I'm a man right with God and prepared when I stand in this pulpit. That's what is of utmost importance to you. And if there's other men that can do these other things, important in and of themselves, but different, then there need to be men in the church like deacons who will, if they can, assume those responsibilities the practical things in the church, whether it's taking care of widows or anything else, you know, there, there needs to be men that will do that. Because trust me, I like doing that. I, I don't mind, you know, whether it's, my, you know, sweeping the, the gym or whatever. That, that's 
for me, that's, that's a release. You know, that's, that's fun. You know, laboring over a message and trying to figure out and solve the problem between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, that's work. That, that's, that's, that's heavy. It comes easy to Jamie. Where's Jamie? Where's Jamie? Oh, never mind, Jamie. Stay out there. Go ahead. Spank him. He needed it. <laughs> I'm joking about that. I'm joking about that. Deacons, their, their primary responsibility are just as they arise. This was a problem that came up. Somebody needed to deal with it. And here's where the, here were the men. I'm suppo- I suppose that wasn't the only problem in the church that needed to be addressed. I'm, there must have been others that come up. And I would like to believe, based on what we've read, that, okay, deacons, you, if you guys can handle it. And they have the spiritual maturity to handle it. And it won't go to their head. And they, they have a humility about them. One of the things I value about our deacons, and again, this is just a need that arises from time to time, that I value, I value their wisdom. There, there are times we'll face an issue, and I'll bounce it off of them. It's very important to me. And I don't want them to be yes men. I, I want them to give me their heart, their, 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 their knowledge, their, their wisdom. I love our deacons, and I value our deacons. And I, I value what they bring to the table. So deacons are servants to meet the practical needs of the church as they arise. And one of the needs that's been mine through the years is a need for deacons that can bring some wisdom, some insight to the table. And uh, I, I appreciate these men. They, those, those are the deacons. And uh, when we have serious issues in the church from time to time, a brother or sister in Christ gets in trouble and it's a moral issue or whatever, then, you know, oftentimes I will take that to the deacons. And, you know, sometimes I'll share with them, I'll say, this is what I think we ought to do. Sometimes I'll say, what do you guys think we ought to do? And, you know, I value their, their wisdom. So, but, but the bottom line, you know, the leadership role, the primary leadership role in the church is the pastor. The primary servanthood role in the church are the deacons. And then comes trustees. Now, I guess just about every modern-day church has trustees. It's not a Bible position. There are, no quali- there are no Bible qualifications for trustees. As I understand it, it's more of a modern-day legal necessity. You know, that, you know because Matt, starting a church. You know, he asked me the other day, he said, Dad, how do you start a church? I said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I've never started one. I've never started a church. I, I said, Matt, there a guy, I can appoint you to pa- uh, Brother Rick Rust, who is in the church planting, starting business. He's got everything you'd want to know about it. I mean, there's, there's legalities in starting a church today. Yeah, I, I was telling this to someone this morning. They said, we didn't think about that. Uh, Matt's church has been meeting for about a month. And thankfully, a few of the people said, Brother Matt, we, we want to tithe. And Matt says, that's what I want to hear, and that's fantastic, but you have nothing to tithe to. You don't have a church. It's not organized as a church yet. We don't have a bank account for you to put it in. We don't have, we're not a legal entity. You know, so right now, they have to draw up papers of incorporation to become a legal entity 
to open a bank account so that they can have a treasurer sometime to deposit it in an account under the church's name. So they've got to be incorporated. Then they've got to get a church constitution, and they've got to vote on that. And, you know, how do the, how do, who, who decides who's members? You know, okay, all of us that want, do they vote on themselves? <laughs> if I'm in favor of me being a member of the church, you know, I'm honest. I, I don't know. But he's, he's, figuring it, he's figuring it all out. But the papers of incorporation, which I think that's the right terminology for what he's got to do, you know, those are just legal realities of the day in which we live, which necessitate trustees. And there are no Bible qualifications for trustees. I meet with the deacons, and um, we will throw out names for, for trustees. Uh, and again, it's, it's a, a legal necessity this day and age. But in our church constitution, it specifies a little more their responsibilities, which is primarily with the buildings and grounds. You know, it's, it's a very practical thing. And they also get involved, I guess because they're involved with the buildings and grounds, they are involved in the church budget, the budget that we are going to present to you Wednesday night. All of the deacons, all of the trustees and myself, we sat together in the, in the fireplace room and went over it line by line. So they, they contribute there. Like I say, when we have some spiritual heavyweight issues to discuss, I'm talking to the deacons, okay? Because that is a Bible, that is a Bible position. And, and the deacons, they, they understand and accept the, the, the differences, but, but the trustees, it's, it's basically practical. You know, once we get through this budget, we have the money that we wanted to raise for the pole barn, I'll be, you'll hear me call probably for some meetings, deacons and trustees. We're going to be starting down the path on the pole barn. Where are we going to put it? How big do we want it to be? How do we want to go about it? And, and all that kind of stuff. And the trustees, many of them, uh, sometimes will have expertise, you know, in you know, electrical or plumbing or building or cement or whatever, you know, and it, it'll, all, it'll all come together. But that's the practical... Um, side of what, what the trustees do. They are primarily, if not almost exclusively, involved in the, the grounds, the building, and the, the, the budget. Once a year, they, they will meet with us on, on, on the budget. And they, too, do a great job. I love our trustees, and um, I, I am thankful for them and all, them and the deacons and their role in ministry here and what they do. They, too, I don't know if I said it a while ago, they're elected for a three-year term, and if they want to, they can be re-elected. And, and a man can serve in both. I mean, you can be a deacon, you can be a trustee at the same time. And then also on Sunday, you not Sunday, but Wednesday night, you'll see, you know, treasurer, assistant treasurer, or clerk, and some other offices. Uh, that's just practical needs. That, those aren't Bible positions. You don't have a Bible secretary or a Bible treasurer, but again, it's just what you need this day in which we live. And they too, they are elected, no, they're elected for one-year terms. They're, they're elected for, for one-year terms. Right now, uh, Brother Bob Carpenter, where's Brother Bob? Uh, he's serving a life sentence. You know, <laughs> Bob, Bob is serving a life sentence as church treasurer. Okay, and I would be remiss... If I, didn't, if I didn't mention the, the, the women of the church, 
the women of the church are, are not called to be pastors. They're not called to be deacons. They're not called. You say, what about deaconesses? Check it out. It, it, it doesn't fit. And then trustees. But women serve a, a, an important and a vital role in, in ministry, bringing their unique giftedness, their unique talents, their unique wisdom to the ministry. You could not do ministry without them. They are so very important. And the Lord, for whatever reasons, and we just trust him, and this goes counterculture, though does not uh, allow for them to serve in, in leadership roles. And, you know, if somebody doesn't like that, I, you know, you got to take it up with the Bible. you got to take it up with the Lord because nothing could be more clear. But in any mature Christian's mind, they know that in no way demeans or diminishes the worth and the value of godly ladies. It's just a difference in roles. You know, and I, I preached on that now that I think about it not too terribly long ago. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, God just understands that, that there's roles. I was hearing a preacher the other day. Sharon, I think you were with me in the car and we were listening. And this preacher was talking about leadership. And he says, in every organization, you've got to have a leader. You know, in the classroom, you got, the teacher's a leader. You know, a Boy Scout troop, somebody's a leader. You know, there's leadership role, and then there's subordinate roles. I mean, that's just how God arranged life to be. And we value the role of women, but in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And then verse number 12, it says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And that being silent doesn't mean they can't talk in church, but, you know, they're, they're just not to be the leadership role. And my experience after 40 years in ministry is that women want their husbands to lead. I have found that more women wish their husbands would lead more. You know, they would be happy for them to. Ladies, you have enough on your plate already, you know, and, and they're just more, more than happy for men to lead. Now, again... That sure puts a burr under the saddle of this world, doesn't it? I mean, I would be accused of being sexist and what have you. But all I can do is preach the word. And it's not for me to change it or to modify it or to compromise it. So, again, I I can't imagine doing ministry without the ladies uh, in this church or the ladies that are on our staff that do such a fabulous, hardworking job. Now, you know, and when it comes to business meetings, ladies can certainly ask questions. They, they can make comments. They vote, of course. Their vote is just as equal as, as any man's. You know, I don't know if it's more tradition or what, but it's not really tradition. It's, it's tradition based on a Bible principle that you will notice that both, like we did this morning when we need a nomination and we need a second, and, you know, for members or in business meetings, we like for the men to do that. They have the leadership role. They ought to be doing it. And again, that's according to, that's according to, to God's plan. So that's why, you know, somebody, you know, and this, somebody that's more influenced by the world than they are by the word would question that. Somebody that's more influenced by the world than the word would question the fact that those ladies ought to speak up. They ought, they ought to, you know, be able to, you know... Um, Make a motion and second it and all that kind of stuff. Well, in your world, that's the way it works. But those who are more influenced by the word than the world understands that 
Yeah, it may be a burr under your saddle, but this is what God says. And in no way does it diminish women. In fact, my study through the years say the, the best thing that ever happened to women in this world was Christianity. That women prior to that were treated like property. And the best thing that has happened to women is for, for them to, to, to have experienced Christianity and the influence that Christianity has been on culture. So, again, to close. The head of the church is Christ. We need to all remember that always. The leadership role in the church is the pastor. The deacons are servants. They're, they're, not, they're not representatives. You know, they're not the legislative branch of the church. You know, I'm not the executive branch. They're not the legislative branch. They are servants, okay? Now, they're going to have some leadership influence just by the fact that they're godly men. That comes just not by position. That comes by example that they will have influence. They are influencers, okay? But they're not the legislative branch. Christ is the head of the church. Then comes the pastor. You know who the controlling authority is in this church ultimately? Humanly speaking? Now, Christ is, of course. That's a given. But humanly speaking, you know who the final authority is in this church? It's the congregation. It's the congregation that voted me in 27 years ago, and it's the congregation that determines each year whether I stay or go. You, the congregation, are the ultimate human authority in the church. That's supported by Scripture. I did my homework on that. I don't have all the supporting verses for that, but where the church decided this in Acts, and the church decided this in Matthew, and the church decided this in Galatians, yeah, there's precedent of the, the power of the local congregation as far as having the final authority. I serve at the pleasure of the congregation. But when the congregation picks a pastor, then he's to lead. And he leads until that congregation uh, feels otherwise, feels led otherwise. So, these are things that some of you have known for, for many, many years. Some of you, it may be a review. For some of you, you may be learning it for the first time. But that's how the Bible has set up the polity, if you will, of, of the church. And this is what we will be voting on on this Wednesday evening. If you have any questions about what I've shared with you this afternoon, or about the budget, or about uh, any of the nominees... You know, see me, okay? And that's so important. Because, you know, some, some immature Christians, and it doesn't happen here. It hadn't happened here in a long time. But some immature Christians like to kind of play gotcha during a business meeting. You know, and th- there's no place for that. If, if you have a question, see me ahead of time. Because we don't want to embarrass anybody. We want, you know, any of these men that are nominated, if, if, you, got a, if you got an issue, you know, See me ahead of time. We might resolve that where there's no uncomfortableness at, at a meeting, okay? Don't, don't wait to play gotcha at some, some meeting because we, we want to get it right. We, we want to get it right. The deacons, I, the trustees, you know, there, there's no personal agenda here. As best we can, we take this 
2,000-year-old document and, and older, and hopefully with the guiding of the Holy Spirit, we interpret it and apply it properly. That is our, I can tell you that that's our number one goal. It's not a matter of personal agenda. It's not a matter of personality po- politics here at this church. It is us yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and loving one another and caring for one another. So, And I, I, I feel so blessed, blessed over these last many years. It kind of scares me. We have been in such a good place for such a number of years, Brother Tom. It kind of scares me. When the devil going to really try to pull something? And I, I, I love being your pastor. It's a privilege. For, it's not a right for me to be your pastor. It's a privilege for me to be your pastor. I think I have as much, if not maybe more, enthusiasm and vision for the future than I have right now. I think, I think the state of the union is good. <laughs> The state of the union at my old Baptist church is good, and I don't want to mess it up, and I don't want anybody to mess it up. Let's just love one another, try to do it right, and see if we can reach uh, more people for the Lord. We'll be sharing with you. We did have, at our meeting this Friday morning, usually it's on Wednesdays, but circumstances put it on Friday morning. You know, we were talking about the, uh, we want to make Easter uh, an evangelistic outreach this year. And that's going to be our focus. And I'm going to explain to you why on that Easter Sunday we're just going to have one big service, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. There's reasons for that. We, we, trust me, we think it through. We even think, do we want to change the time? Should we be earlier or whatever? You know, we got good people. And, and none, of them, none of them are yes people. None of the deacons, none of the trustees, and none of the uh, folks on, on staff. But they do have a sweet spirit about them. And that's what I appreciate the most. And we'll be sharing with you more and putting this information in your hands. And hopefully we'll have a a great uh, evangelistic outreach uh, as far as Easter is concerned. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com Thanks for listening.